0: Mates, it is friday february 3rd go red for women day as the kickoff to american heart month continues so we come together on this day wearing red that's raising awareness about cardiovascular disease that affects nearly 50 percent of black women 20 years of age and older. Welcome to Foxo's Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks.
1: And I'm the Cordelia Corte. Happy Friday. We are honored to stand behind this desk each day to take you on a journey across black America and the stories that impact our people in a time such as this. That's right. We're going to bring
0: you our news, our views and our voice. So let's get into today's top headline. The Congressional Black Caucus met with President Biden and Vice President Harris as they face pressure once again to overhaul police practices. Now this comes as Memphis police officers beat Tyree Nichols during a traffic stop. He later died from the injuries and those officers were charged with murder. The George Floyd Justice in Policing Act to combat this tragedy, these type of tragedies, uh, was installed in the Senate more than a year ago. At Nichols' funeral on Tuesday, you might remember Vice President Harris said the White House wants ambitious legislation to address the issue. And during that uh, address at the funeral, she basically vowed that, "Hey, we got to get this passed. Uh, President uh, um, Biden will sign it, and uh, we will go forth with this uh, with this legislation."
1: And it's really great to see the Congressional Black Caucus really putting Mm -hmm. uh, their full strength behind uh, this legislation yet again. uh, Representative Steve Horsford, who's now the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, in a statement said, quote, no one in our nation should fear interacting with police officers who serve our diverse communities, large and small. We all want to be safe. Many black and brown people, however, and many young people in general are justifiably afraid to interact with law enforcement officials. How much longer can our country uh, continue to be united the United States of America. If so many of us are afraid of our day-to-day interactions with law enforcement,
0: yeah. And and how many more cases like Tyree Nichols has to happen? George Floyd. Ty, we, I thought George Floyd would do it, uh, but how many more cases? And you know, this legislation needs to be signed and not only signed but properly executed as as it trickles out throughout uh, police departments. Because with this Tyrese Nichols uh, case, we see that this just wasn't a, a white thing. It wasn't a black thing. It's a blue thing and the culture and my hope is that once this legislation is pushed through, signed, that it will address that culture that needs to be rethought, reimagined, retraining, all of the above. So we shall see.
1: And I just can't imagine for folks out there that think that there's, there's nothing wrong with the culture. I mean, look at what happened after the death of Tyree. We reported on a story of mm. an amputee, a double amputee in a wheelchair that was shot in the back by police officers. So if a double amputee is not safe in America, who is? Mm. Moving on, uh, a new report, Uh, in a new report, it's being detailed that Memphis Police Chief Sherilyn Davis had a similar task force to the Scorpion unit during her time in Atlanta. The Scorpion unit was a specially formed group of officers that assisted in combating neighborhood crime and enlisted the officers responsible for Tyree Nichols' death. The report says that Chief Davis' unit in Atlanta, it was called the Red Dog Unit, Mm. and was a group of 30 officers sent out to high crime areas in the city. The unit was disbanded in, get this, 2011, after settling 10 lawsuits related to the red dog unit you know courtney uh, you know when i read this story i couldn't help but wonder what did she learn in atlanta that she brought to the oversight of the scorpion unit on day one of her job in memphis and how many of these units exist across the country right now, I mean, really operating seemingly above the law.
0: You know, I remember a lot of these um, units, a lot of these squads uh, coming to an existence during, you know, the, the, the crack days. They were, you know, specialized units to focus and zone in on crack written, written areas. And we all know, you know, all of the, all of the ret- rhetoric, the injustices and the imbalance that, that came uh, with that particular area, era. And you know, and, and then you have to move into, you you know, modern day uh, where you have, um, you know, police departments that are uh, lacking, um, you know, trainees, lacking folks to, you know, come and be, be a part of the department under funding, which I think also has a direct relation to, you know, why uh, some of these officers aren't getting like a holistic approach when it comes to training. I mean, I want to say first and foremost, you're there to serve, uh, to serve and, and, and then also protect. And so um, I, I knew that her past from Atlanta was probably going to come up and creep, but, you know, it'll be interesting to continue to follow as the days move on, you know, if that, in fact, will come and haunt her in the sense of questioning her position in Memphis, and if she'll be able to Hold on to it, and even if she does, uh, if she'll be able to hold on
1: to it with the community support. But you know what? On the point of training, Courtney, this is mm-hmm. another question that comes to mind to, to, to me. A lot of these officers have been trained. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there were folks it, that were part of the Scorpion Unit in mm-hmm. Memphis uh, that had been a part of the force uh, for as little as six years, less than a decade, right? And so, you know, how great is their police work? Where you get promoted to a special tactic unit like the Scorpion Unit within? Six years number one number two uh you know they were supposedly trained what happens when they don't adhere to any of that training you know and and we've got to be honest about the fact that training really doesn't mean much if people aren't adhering to the training and if people aren't held accountable for operating outside of policy uh, and so, you know, we'll continue to bring stories like one this more thing, to you. Those, but those,
0: those, those, those units should not be, in my opinion, policing uh, and taking care of traffic stops. You know, right. I, I just, you know, I think, you know, the assignment is off as well. So that needs to be addressed too. You're
1: right. You're mm-hmm. right. You're right. And, there, and there's a huge movement across the country to create. Uh, these mental health units to respond Mm -hmm. to mental health disturbances. That wasn't the case in the Tyree Nichols case, but it has been the case in a number of cases, including the Kenan Anderson case in in Los Angeles. And so, you know, there are lots of proposed... reforms uh, to the to the to policing in America uh, but uh, I'm not sure if reforms are enough you know and I think there are a lot of people out there saying you know you got to transform the whole the whole dang thing and so uh, we'll continue to keep our eye on this
0: we're going to switch gears here as one of Atatiana Jefferson's sisters has passed away Amber Carr had been battling heart disease she's the mother of Zion Carr that's the 11-year-old uh, who was with uh, his aunt Atatiana the night she was shot and killed by former Fort Worth police officer Aaron Dean. This was back in 2019. The family's attorney posted on Twitter asking for continued prayers and support as Carr's two young sons deal with this
1: loss. A judge has delayed next week's scheduled execution of a man convicted of killing three teenagers while they slept in a Texas panhandle home more than 25 years ago. 54-year-old John Ballantine had been set to receive a lethal injection at the state prison in Huntsville on February eighth. He was condemned for the January 1998 shooting death of a 17-year-old and two 15-year-olds at a home in Amarillo. One of the victims was the brother of Ballantine's former girlfriend, and prosecutors said the shootings were the result of a feud. Mm -hmm. Ballantyne was arrested in Houston six months after the slaying. The evidence at the trial showed that all three victims were shot once in the head as they slept in a tiny house where Valentine also once lived.
0: All right, my goodness. It has been more than three months since the passing of Shanquilla Robinson in Mexico and her family is still demanding justice. Now, according to the family, on February 18th, activists from Million Youth March of Charlotte and Robinson's family will march from Little Rock AME Zion Church to the local post office in that area to send 1,000 letters in pink envelopes to Mexican officials. The family says the hope is that sending the letters will ignite some uh, someone there to uh, push a bit harder in bringing Shanquilla and her family justice. And, you know, this is, this is you know, ever since I've jumped into journalism, if you will, that has just been my biggest push, follow-up stories. Because, you know, as the public, as soon as we're sort of kind of done with it, it, you know, it's it's a wrap for us and we move on. But these families and extended families and friends and communities, you know, they are left with the fallout of whatever, uh, you know, this, the situation may be in uh, Shanquilla's uh, uh, case, it has not been solved in, in the sense that these folks have not been fully brought to justice. Um, you know, I know there were some steps to, to get those involved back to Mexico, but, uh, you know, when, when you don't follow up, um, you know, when you don't tap back into these stories, it just gets lost. And that's why, you know, I think, you know, programs like what we do here at Fox Souls Black Report is so important because it's still of interest to us. We still want to know what's happening, which is why we're, we're bringing you this story here. But as you can see, that fight is still on.
1: It's still on. And what's, what's also really uh, heartening to know is that there are a number of organizers on the ground mm-hmm. who have made it their business to not allow her memory uh, to fade from the headlines, to allow uh, for the call for justice, uh, to be loud and to be clear. And so for them to be organizing this action to send, you know, a thousand of these these letters uh, to officials in Mexico mm-hmm. um, to make sure that they don't forget about her and that they do their due diligence in investigating this case, uh, I think this is a powerful demonstration of what it can look like when we say Black Lives Matter. Yeah,
0: and I'm going to need the U.S. to step up, too, in any way that they can help to push uh, this case forward.
1: That's right. That's right. Well, a family is grieving the loss of a loved one found dead on the street of a residential neighborhood in Florida. And now police are looking for any clues that will point them to the possible suspect.
2: Very caring, very loving, willing to do anything for others, always up to do any obstacle that was challenging, uh, very outgoing. Uh, she's going to be missed dearly.
3: In her own words, the mother of Elena Sims described her daughter to me. She says the 22 year old was the woman found lying dead last night in the Easton Park neighborhood with what police
0: described as upper body trauma. They say she was just feet away from her young son who was sleeping in a car seat.
2: She loved her son a lot. He was her everything. So the memories I would have is the, joy, the joyful moments that she had with her son.
0: Police believe this was a targeted attack. This is obviously a horrible tragedy for this family. You have a child now who's without a mother because someone took her life while the child was sitting right there in the car behind her as it
3: happened. They now hope someone comes forward so they can get this family closure.
0: We're hoping that someone in the community may have uh, some sort of surveillance footage or may have seen a car
3: coming and going that can help us find out who took her life, something Elena's family wants to see happen sooner than later as another young life is tragically cut short in our city.
2: She was a lovable soul. I mean, she she didn't have to die young. She shouldn't have to die young. And everybody should know that, you know, your loved ones, you wanna keep them close because you just don't know.
1: Our thanks to FOX 13 Tampa for that story, according to Sim's mother, Alana was expecting her second child. And
0: you know, it's just so heartbreaking to have to bring you stories like this, but here's another update uh, to a story we first brought you here on the Black Report in um, Detroit, Highland Park to be exact, a city within Detroit. Uh, there's been three bodies found, believed to be those of the Michigan rappers who recently have been reported missing. Take a look.
4: Michigan state police, Detroit police and other law enforcement support teams working into Thursday's evening hours investigating this at least partially abandoned apartment complex at McNichols and Rosa Parks in Highland Park, where three bodies were discovered. Fox two sources believe it's the bodies of rappers missing since a Detroit concert they were set to play got scrapped almost two weeks ago. State police said members of the homicide task force, Metro South post and MSP forensic lab, were combing through the scene with search warrants being obtained. 38-year-old Armani Kelly, 31-year-old Montoya Givens and Dante Wicker, 31, were slated to perform at Lounge 31 on Seven Mile near Gratiot on January 21st. However, the event was canceled after organizers could not reach them on their phones. Fox2 talked with Armani's mother the other day about her own efforts to find her son. Somebody knows something.
2: Somebody will speak. I don't know when, I don't know where,
4: but it
0: will come out.
4: We were able to pull phone data and see that there's no activity on any of their phones. They're not hitting any towers. The mother of one of the victims the next day made a report uh, of the missing person. That mother became very proactive in the investigation and started searching for her vehicle through OnStar. Within days, the car Armani drove from Oscoda to the Detroit area was discovered in Warren. That's when news reports prompted the families and friends of the missing three to ask questions. On January 27. 7th, information is aired through media on that individual, Mr. Kelly uh, and him being missing. And once that happens, other family members of the, the other missings come to realize that that's a friend of their loved ones and they haven't seen seen them either. So then they both get reported missing.
0: Wow. Our thanks to uh, Dave Kinchin of Fox 2 right here in Detroit for that update. And, and you know, as following uh, this story, because it became a huge uh, national story as people wanted to know, you know, what had happened uh, to those um, three rappers. We now know uh, their investigators are looking at some footage, some online footage. Um, one of those rappers went live and it appears as though uh, he was on and, and there was a, a disagreement or some kind of argument or even threats uh, between him and two other men. They are they are looking into that to see if that is in connection uh, with the with their disappearance and now their their murder and so just a, an unfortunate um, turn of events and uh, that mom was so vigilant so so hopeful but at the same time she she knew because her son uh, had just went you know you know absent that something was absolutely wrong so her worst uh, nightmare coming true and uh, it's just a very sad story here
1: and you know we all we can hope is that uh here in the state of michigan they have a strong witness protection program we, you mentioned that this story has garnered national attention yeah. and and one of the issues that we don't talk enough about is there are a lot of witness protection programs um, that are not well funded that are not as strong and so there's no incentive for people to step up Um, and share what they've seen, and so I hope that that's not the case here, and and hopefully it gets to the bottom of this uh, sooner than later. Mm -hmm. Well, we're learning more about the upcoming Grammy Awards tribute to Atlanta rapper Takeoff. It's being reported that the Migos group member Quavo will be on tap to pay respects to his nephew and fellow band member. Reports also say that Maverick City Music will join Quavo for the tribute. You'll remember takeoff was killed last November while at a private event in Houston.
0: I know that they are still healing. They're still reeling. Um, I just saw a report not too long ago. There was another victim in that shooting, a long, young lady who was shot in the head, um, still recovering in Houston. Uh, she was talking about her and her her mom uh, was talking about her long road to recovery and 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 what has you know changed and how it has changed and will permanently uh, change her life. So you know we, we have a tendency to focus in on the celebrity, you know, justifiably so. But there were other victims uh, in that particular situation that uh, survived. Uh, and and are still in recovery so that story is is much bigger and there's more much more of a backstory than uh, what happened uh, with uh, takeoff so uh, just to keep that in mind as well yeah
1: yeah and it serves as another reminder that the epidemic of gun violence affects all of us nobody's Mm -hmm. safe and so whether you are uh, a celebrity or just an everyday ordinary person uh, gun violence uh, is uh, an epidemic in this country Mm -hmm. and Uh, I don't know how many times we've got to, you know, really pay tribute uh, to the lost and fallen uh, until we as a country take it seriously and do everything we can to keep, uh, you know, these weapons off of the streets and out of the hands of people that, that don't mean us well. Indeed. Well, still ahead, the warning to Ticketmaster ahead of Beyonce's newly announced tour. You better not, Taylor Swift, them folks. The beehive will come for you. Find out what uh,
0: the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee is telling the online ticket seller to ensure all fans get a fair shot at tickets. We'll be right back.
1: Members of the squad of the progressive House lawmakers this week railed against House Republicans for voting to remove one of their own, Representative Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, from the House Foreign Affairs Committee, arguing that the move was motivated by GOP bias against women of color in Congress. All right, so they
0: got into it. Here we go. Republicans on the House floor ahead of the vote argue for a resolution to oust Omar, a Somali refugee and one of the first two Muslim women elected to Congress over a number of remarks she has made that Republicans say are anti-Semitic. Speaker Kevin McCarthy had long vowed to keep Omar off the panel and block California Democratic reps uh, Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell from seats on the House Intelligence Committee. Now, the chamber ultimately approved the resolution to oust Omar along along party lines, but some folks on the Hill had something to say about it, including Omar.
3: Consistency. There is nothing consistent with the Republican Party's continued attack except for the racism and incitement of violence against women of color in this body. I had a member of the Republican caucus threaten my life and you all and the Republican caucus rewarded him with one of the most prestigious committee assignments in this Congress. Don't tell me this is about consistency. Don't tell me that this is about an abd- a condemnation of anti-Semitic remarks when you have a member of the Republican Caucus who, have, who has talked about Jewish space lasers and, and an entire amount of tropes and also elevated her to some of the highest committee assignments in this body. This is about targeting women of color in the, in the United States of America. Don't tell me because I didn't get a single apology when my life was threatened. Thank you.
2: Is anyone surprised that I am somehow deemed unworthy to speak about American foreign policy or that? they see me as a powerful voice that needs to be silent.
1: Well, you know, Representative Cory Bush, who was sitting behind Representative mm-hmm. AOC and, and Representative Omar, um, she called the resolution to oust Omar offensive and just a bunch of racist ga- gaslighting. She went on to say that Republicans are waging a blatantly Islamophobic and racist attack against Congresswoman Omar. Um, she said, she said it before, she'll say it again. The white supremacy happening is unbelievable. This is despicable. Um, I thought Representative Uh, AOC, I thought her comments were fiery and and they have uh... enlisted uh, a lot of reaction on social media but mm-hmm. uh... representative Cory bush i thought she also sort of cut to the heart of this and you know are we watching islamophobia are we watching racism are we watching uh... discrimination against a woman happening right now before our very eyes a lot of people say yes you know to to have them
0: make it to where they are and then to still have to fight to still have to fundamentally fight um, you know and secure and defend who they are, what they're all about, what they stand on. Obviously, they were elected because, you know, constituents uh, felt them, constituents identified with them, and, uh, you know, Ocasio, uh, Cortez, and Omar and the others, um, you know, people believe in them and want them there because they feel they're a true representation of of who and what they are. And and obviously, you know, their beliefs and their moral code is is in alignment with those who voted and, and put them in there. And it is sad to think that they still have to fight and prove and show <laughs> who they are yeah. and and them just being who they are is, is not enough. And it's always in question. It reminds me how they went at our president, Obama, mm-hmm. you know, for years on top of years that who he was, you know, in some kind of way, there, there was a problem, you know, there's something wrong with that all the way from the, the, the his name mm-hmm. to, you know, his, his birthplace. It, it's, it's just absolutely insane. And, um, you know, it needs to stop. It it absolutely needs to stop.
1: Yeah. And and don't her constituents also deserve a voice in Congress? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they, what they're doing to hurt Representative Omar, they're actually hurting the district uh, that she represents. They're, they're hurting the constituents that she represents. And so uh, we'll continue to, to keep our eye on this. But moving on uh, to the U.S. Senate, where the Judiciary Committee sent Ticketmaster a not-so-subtle warning this week after Beyonce announced her world tour. We're watching is what the committee's account tweeted at Ticketmaster in Mm-mm. response to an article about the concert. The dig at the company comes after a high-profile debacle during the presale of Taylor Swift's upcoming tour last year. The system meltdown resulted in thousands of her fans being unable to purchase tickets. Ticketmaster faced more blowback over its handling of ticket sales when hundreds of fans were turned away from rapper Bad Bunny's December concert in Mexico. According to Ticketmaster, an unprecedented number of fake tickets created confusion, which sparked the unfortunate outcome.
0: If you can afford the tickets, I know I've been watching people um, post snapshots of, of the, the, the different arenas uh, you, where Beyoncé will be playing from, from city to city in their city. <laughs> and I saw a few nosebleed seats for almost $1,000. Oh, the upper, upper, upper level. So if you can affect in fact, you know, afford, you know, Beyonce tickets and, and jump online to Ticketmaster and purchase them. God bless, God bless you because well, they are high.
1: Well, I would say start saving for your Beyonce tickets if you haven't already started <laughs> saving for your Beyonce tickets. But, you know, what was interesting to me about this story is that uh, this, the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, they can look into this, but um, uh, I, I haven't seen a tweet about the George Floyd Justice and Policing Bill. Uh, And it just it dawned on me that, you know, ain't nobody literally dying. To get a concert ticket, but there are too many of us dying by the overuse of force and police violence. And so, when you consider the jurisdiction that this committee has—the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee—you uh, would think that their priorities would be more aligned around protecting the human life of our fellow Americans, as opposed to uh, looking to investigate, you know, what's happening uh, with Ticketmaster. Not to say that it's not an important issue, but. Priorities matter.
0: Well, let me tell you, if if in fact you can't make it, whether you can't afford it or your schedule doesn't allow you, soulmates are very clever, and you will be seeing bits and pieces of the of the Renaissance tour uh, all over social media uh, as that uh, as that concert starts. So I'm looking forward to it myself. All right, so let's go to a family in Huntsville, Alabama, that claims that decades ago the city systematically stole the land their family once owned. So it was about 10 acres that sat along Eighth. Pike, which is now known as Holmes Avenue, the five surviving Jones siblings say that land had been in the family since the 1870s. Now, today, that piece of land is home to the University of Alabama and Huntsville's uh, Business Administration Building. Officials in Madison County say the condemned uh, land, they condemned that land in 1954 after Willie Jones turned down an offer of $900 for a portion of that land, including the well, and the family was forced to move. Now, the Jones family started a petition to get their land back, and they now have more than 5,000 signatures. And we heard stories like this time and time again in your neck of the woods in California. That family actually got their land back, and then they flipped it and sold it back to the folks for millions and millions of dollars. That's right. That's right.
1: Yeah, yeah, we we saw that. And what's also interesting about this story is that the father was unfortunately, unfortunately, was literate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, before this transaction, they say that he had signed his name with an X uh, and uh, they have evidence of that. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, they're pushing back and saying, well, he signed the deed. And how many stories have we heard uh, like this uh, across our history, you know, where, you know, because of issues related to literacy, you know, our vote wasn't counted properly or our land was taken from us or or something happened. And so, Uh, You know, this is a a story that really represents, I think, a whole lot of stories. And as we talk a lot about the reparations movement, Mm -hmm. right, I think we're going to uncover even more stories just like this. This is an
0: opportunity for those folks uh, who, who stole that land to make good. On on the hood winking and, and and the bamboozlement of it all, it's also an opportunity for that community down there in that area of Huntsville to come together, you know, and sign, you know, that petition so they can continue to you know push uh, this um, this ask, if you will, or demand uh, forward. And I'm hoping that they'll come out on the other side. Uh, with something, uh, monetarily maybe, seeing as though you know that land has been developed over and over again and it's part of the university. Um, but that does not mean that they can't dig in their pockets and uh, make good on this family's loss, on what was stolen, taken from them.
1: That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, uh, a bill proposed by Massachusetts lawmakers would allow state inmates to donate their organs or bone marrow in exchange for reduced prison sentences. The formal name of the proposed bill is an act to establish the Massachusetts incarcerated individual bone marrow and organ donation program. Try saying that 10 times fast. Mm-hmm. If the bill passes, sources say donating organs would be optional for inmates. If passed, the act would create a five-person panel to oversee the implementation of the program made up of two Department of Corrections officials, an organ donation specialist from a state hospital, and two advocates focusing on organ donation and prisoners' rights. Sources say organ donation is currently allowed in U.S. federal prisons, but only if the recipient is an immediate family member.
0: I think that's a great you know, program. If an inmate decides that that's what uh, he or she wants to do, why not? If they're you know, in good health, um, they're still human. And uh, if they decide to uh, pass along their, their organs, they, they should very well uh, be included um, to help uh, with organ donation. I myself believe in it. Um, I, I know uh, back when my dad uh, was still here with us and he was having issues with his kidney, um, I just, I wanted to be tested. We wanted to be tested so maybe we could be uh, donors, but that's something that, that he didn't necessarily um, believe in. And I just, I felt opposite of that. And so I've seen, you know, both sides where people say, no, you know, this this does not resonate with me. And then, you know, as someone who agrees with organ donation, um, I think it's a it's a great program to implement and should be offered to uh, inmates.
1: Yeah, and like you, I'm I'm also an organ donor, mm-hmm. and you know I believe uh, that it is one of the ultimate uh, services. Uh, to humanity that one can offer. And, you know, it's just another reminder of our inherent human value. Mm. And sometimes we forget about that when folks get, you know, locked up, you know, we act like somehow, some way, you know, they have no value. Well, you know, they, their life still matters. Mm -hmm. um, And literally their organs can change a life, can save a life. And so Uh, I was delighted to stumble upon the story, coming out of Massachusetts.
0: Let's go to Florida, where local leaders will break ground uh, on a restoration project in Seminole uh, County for the historic Oviedo, Uh, Oviedo, Oviedo, that's it, Colored Schools Museum. Amanda McKenzie from Fox 35 has the Black History Month
2: feature. There are two parts to this building. The first part is the original.
3: The Gabriella Jamestown Colored School is the only structure still standing 92 years later a relic of the past and soon to be revived to become the historic Oviedo Colored Schools Museum.
2: These benches are original.
3: Judith Dolores Smith is leading the effort to restore this former schoolhouse and church.
2: This building, even though it looks kind of scruffy and not well-loved, it is a monumental building because this is where one of the colored schools that um, was, and it is the actual building where the colored school took place.
3: The colored school Judith attended, along with the other five schools, are long gone. But artifacts and mementos will be put on display here. We've already collected
2: some things.
3: The mission is to educate and share the story of how former African-American slaves and their descendants sought employment and a means to educate their children. Now
2: the children that attended here were the descendants of African slaves. And you would think, oh, oh, how how sad. It's a story of triumph because even after slavery, The descendants knew that in order for their children to progress, they needed to be educated.
3: This project is just getting started thanks to the generous gift of a new roof, a state grant, and donations. The groundbreaking for the future museum is scheduled for February 13th.
2: Our goal is to tell the whole world that even though you're in difficult circumstances, you can rise above it.
0: Oviedo, I got it now great Black History Month story. All right, still ahead, Omega Sci Fi is making quick moves following the release of the Tyree Nichols video.
1: That's right, what the fraternity is doing to disassociate themselves with the officer's charge. You're watching Foxhole's Black Report. We'll be right back after this.
0: Friday soulmates. If you're just joining us, let's uh, tap back into the top stories of the day. The Congressional Black Caucus met with President Biden and Vice President Harris as they face pressure once again to overhaul police practices. Now this comes after Memphis police officers beat Tyree Nichols during a traffic stop. He later died from the injuries and those officers were charged with murder. The George Floyd Justice in Policing Act to combat these tragedies was stalled in the Senate more than than a year ago, a Nichols at Nichols funeral on uh, Tuesday. Vice President Harris said the White House wants ambitious legislation to address the issue. And in a new report, it's being detailed that Memphis police chief uh, Sherilyn Davis had a similar task force to the Scorpion unit during her time in Atlanta. The Scorpion unit was a sp- especially formed a group of officers that assisted in combating neighborhood crime and enlisted the officers responsible for Tyree Nichols' death. The report says uh, Chief Davis's unit in Atlanta was called the Red Dog Unit and was a group of 30 officers sent out to high crime areas in the city. The unit was disbanded in 2011 after settling 10 lawsuits related to that unit. And it has been more than three months since the passing of Shanquilla Robinson in Mexico and her family is still demanding justice. Now, according to her family, on February 18th, activists from the Million Youth March of Charlotte and Robinson's family will march from Little Rock AME Zion Church to a local post office in the area to send 1,000 letters in pink envelopes to Mexican officials. The family says the hope is that sending the letters will ignite someone there to push a little bit harder in bringing Shanquilla and her family justice. And lastly, we're learning more about the upcoming Grammy Awards tribute to Atlanta rapper Takeoff. Uh, it's being reported that the Migos group member Quavo will be on uh, tap to pay respects to his nephew and fellow band member. Reports also say that Maverick City Music will join Quavo for the tribute. You'll remember Takeoff was killed last November while at a private party in Houston. The quarter
1: Thank you, Courtney. Now, uh, Omega Sci-Fi has revoked the membership of the three officers charged in killing Tyree Nichols. To Darius Bean, Demetrius Haley, and Emmett Martin III who brutally beat Nichols on January 7th, were members of the Greek fraternity. Before Omega Sci-Fi announced that they would be revoking the memberships of the former cops, the fraternity put out a statement condemning the police officers who committed the crime without mention of their names. The organization stated that they, quote, condemn their actions in the strongest possible way and called on elected officials to, quote, put an end to the senseless killing of citizens in our community by law enforcement officials. Now, Courtney, you know we have uh, talked uh, quite a bit about this uh, s- uh, since the story broke, uh, and you know I-, I think you know part of what still hasn't quite landed, uh, based upon the most recent statement from Omega Sci-Fi, um, there have been reported incidents uh, in Norfolk, Virginia, and in places like Brooklyn, New York, where you know hazing seemed to have gone wrong and people were harmed. Uh, I think at least one or two people went to the hospital. Maybe one person ended up dead. And so I think there are there are activists out there that are attempting to make the connection between uh, what may be sort of, you know, a culture that, that may be uh, an undercurrent uh, in that fraternity or or potentially others, you know, and, and the behavior that was exhibited by uh, the officers when it came to uh, the death of Tyree Nichols.
0: Yeah, as far as this case is concerned, I know a lot of the talk um, was was about the first statement that the fraternity put, put out that really didn't identify those officers that kind of spoke, uh, addressed the issue, but kind of spoke around the participation of their members, and I kind of figured as a member of the Divine Nine that they would take things behind closed doors, and eventually uh, there would be uh, some sort of um, you know action to expel those members, which we now see in this second statement that's much more detailed uh, with naming the officers and the action that has been taken. So uh, I'm thinking maybe that first statement, the second statement should have been the first statement, but you know every every organization has a different way of going about handling their business. I'm just glad that Omega sci fi has handled it, and and hope. the legacy of that amazing fraternity uh, will continue to shine. Let's move on here. The Florida College Board has released its official curriculum for its new advanced uh, advanced placement course in African-American studies, following criticism from Governor Ron DeSantis and the Florida Department of Education, claiming it, quote, lacked educational value. Now, contemporary topics like affirmative action, queer life, the debate over reparations and Black Lives Matter were taken out while black conservatives was added. We talked a little bit about that earlier in the week. Now, they also expelled educators, uh, including Kimberly Crenshaw, a law professor at Columbia, Roderick Ferguson, a Yale professor who has written about queer social movements, and ta Coates, the author who has made the case for reparations for slavery. Also, one of my faves, Bell Hooks, the late Bell Hooks, who uh, whose work is centered on race, feminism, and class was also admitted, and you know New York, New York, uh, New Cordellah always yield to you because this this is your the story is your jam here. And here we're adding more fuel to this fire.
1: There's a lot of fuel added to this fire, and I think that's exactly the point. I think Governor DeSantis is, is trying to pour as much gasoline on this and hopefully uh, ride this and all of its fumes all the way to the White House. I think that is probably what the, uh, the governor is, is planning to do, mm-hmm. getting f- people whipped up around this. But you know, as I was looking at that list uh, of all of the content that's been stripped yeah. from the AP African American Studies mm-hmm. uh, uh, course, I thought about my own dissertation research. Hmm. And this is the research that I did um, uh, in studying uh, organizational leadership, uh, among other things. And uh, a lot of those authors were a part of my dissertation. You know, I quote Kimberly Crenshaw. I talk about Black Lives Matter. You know, um, Bell hooks's book is all about love, is sitting on my nightstand right now. And so, you know, this is not some intellectual exercise. This is happening right now. And the erasure of black people, of black voices, of black scholars, of black activists. It's real. Uh, it's real. And there are real-world consequences, and we can't allow it to happen on our watch. Agreed. Um, Now, uh, speaking of Florida, the city of Miami, uh, their police has unveiled a brand new police car, get this, y'all, in honor of Black History Month. Uh Uh-huh, that's right. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez and Miami Police Chief Manuel Morales were on hand at Thursday afternoon's unveiling as they came together to remember and honor black history. Yeah, Mayor Suarez stated, this is a beautiful collaboration to commemorate Black History, Black History Month, the history of African Americans, and our police department and our city. Now, Courtney, I saw this and I thought, if this ain't tone deaf, I don't know what is.
0: Policing gone wrong yet again.
1: <laughs> yet again. You, you know, I'm, like what? I'm not sure if this is if this is the moment or if there's any moment, mm. you know, to have a a you know sort of pimped out Black History police mobile. <laughs> Uh, unveiled um, as the nation is still grappling you know from what feels like a never-ending stream uh, of of blood on the hands of police officers in this country as we talk about the Tyree Nichols case and as we talk about Kenan Anderson, the amputee, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and too many more to name.
0: And even a story that we just talked about yesterday, the insensitivity of these leaders, of CEOs, of upper management, of the the woman who uh, was releasing employees and and chose to uh, quote uh, Martin Luther King Jr. It's just, it's a lack of uh, insensitivity, it's it's, it's a lack of sensitivity, and uh, it's just a lack of awareness. And I I just don't understand how and why you don't have uh, people around you who can better uh, inform you and let you know that this might not be too uh, uh, appropriate. Why does it always get to the fact that we're looking at this, as you call it, a pimped out uh, police? How did it even get to that point before somebody said, nah, let's scrap this and let's let's figure something else out? It,
1: it's just unbelievable. I don't know what about that celebrates black history.
0: <laughs> All right, speaking of uh, celebrating uh, HBCU, uh, to, uh, to, to, Tell me with that. Tougaloo. There we go. College recently celebrated Will Smith Day with none other than Big Willie from Philly himself. The actor and entertainer visited the HBCU to speak with mass communication and performing arts students. His visit was a favor to Tugaloo graduate Anjanou Ellis, his co-star in the film King Richard. Uh, Tugaloo President Carmen Walters stated, quote, this is the first visit of many producers who are assisting us WITH LAUNCHING OUR NEW PROGRAM IN FILM MAKING AND PRODUCTION.
1: FOX SOUL IS CELEBRATING BLACK HISTORY ALL MONTH LONG AND EVERY DAY, ESPECIALLY HERE ON THE BLACK REPORT. HERE'S WHAT HAPPENED TODAY IN BLACK HISTORY. ON THIS DAY IN 1920, THE NEGRO BASEBALL LEAGUE WAS FOUNDED WITH JACKIE ROBINSON BECOMING THE FIRST NEGRO leaguer TO BREAK COLOR BARRIERS AND BOUNDARIES. IN THE YEAR OF 1956, Authorine J. Lucy becomes the first black student to attend the University of Alabama just two years after the Supreme Court's Brown versus Board of Education decision. And in 1990, a pop star was born. Jamaican singer and rapper Sean Kingston turns 33 today. All righty, I love it. Love to see it. Yeah, it is Black History Month all
0: year long, but this month we're putting some some
1: we putting some extra some, on it, some extra, some on extra on it, black some on it, stank <laughs> on it, some extra <laughs> black on it, as they say. All right, up next, what's in the works for the fiftieth anniversary of hip hop at this year's Grammy Awards? You're watching Foxhole's Black Report. Back after this. Yeah. with some Soulmates, the 2023 Grammys takes place Sunday in Los Angeles oh, where it's warm.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, the Academy is going to celebrate hip-hop's 50th anniversary with a star-studded lineup featuring Big Boy. Missy Elliott, and Run DMC. The CEO of the Recording Academy, his name is Harvey Mason Jr., announced that uh, he was proud to show hip-hop's influence on art, fashion, sports, politics, and much, much more. LL Cool J will introduce the tribute and perform with Questlove as the event's producer. As mentioned uh, earlier, Quavo will perform a tribute to his late nephew and fellow Migos member Takeoff. Trevor Noah also returns as the host. Now, I'm excited about this one. The Cordellack Public Enemies frontman Chuck D. Shut him down. Mark the 50th anniversary of hip hop with a tribute uh, to the iconic 1990 song "Fight the Power." A recent event, he spoke about. Uh, at a recent event, he spoke about the importance of hip hop and its impact on the world and is uh, co-producing a new four-part pbs docuseries fight the power how hip-hop changed the world and continues to change the world now Uh, that's just my take on it the highlights uh, it's going to highlight the uh, genre's role in speaking truth to power and informing the nation the series features first-hand accounts from rap icons Uh, Folks like Chuck D and Grandmaster Flash, Kaz, uh, and it also sheds light on the birth of hip-hop and its first socially conscious hit, The Message, by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. That was back in 1982. I was like 11. The series is set to premiere on Love Day, February 14th. I can't wait.
1: And, you know, yesterday we celebrated the news of Missy Elliott and other artists being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Today we want to shed light on another historic milestone achieved by Missy. She has become the first female hip-hop artist nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in her first year of eligibility. Elliott expressed her gratitude and humility in a press release saying, quote, I'm so humbled and grateful to be counted among the incredible honorees. Fans can vote for Missy Elliott through April 28th at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame website or in Cleveland.
0: All right, our favorite Canadian, Drake, put Spotify on blast saying, Spotify should reward artists with bonuses instead of plaques for reaching milestones on the platform. So uh, earlier in the week, he announced he had become the first artist to surpass 75 billion, that's what it be, streams on Spotify, posting a screenshot to his social media. Drake says artists should be w- rewarded with bonuses like athletes, writing on Instagram, quote, so feel free to send me a LeBron size check. I have enough dinner plates at Spotify. <laughs> in 2016, Drake's hit One Dance was the first song to receive one billion streams on Spotify. And in 2021, the artist was confirmed to have over 50 billion streams on the platform, making him the most stream artist yet again. And I agree, they got the money. They're making money, pay these folks. Well, for their music for well. the and the use of their music and the download of their music. That is the new currency. Download is the, is the new way yeah. we get our music. You know, I come from a generation where you would rush out to the record store and go get the 45. If you were a DJ, you might want to get the 75 and you're playing them. And the album, the 33, no longer does that exist. We, what we, what do we go to, CDs after that and things? Now it's all about the download, and these artists still, you know, need to be rewarded and paid and still need to eat for their music.
1: I think that's true. I mean, and, and we reported on how Spotify, I think, just just laid off uh, a number of workers. Uh, and so, uh, I I don't know, I'm, I don't know what's in their pocket. Uh but, a lot but, but, of money. but but what I do know is that seventy-five billion streams mm-hmm. is extraordinary. Yeah. That's extraordinary. I mean, you know, and I'm a Drake fan and, and I know that you know Drake is like an A-list celebrity and he's really celebrated, sure. really talented. I had no clue before this story that he had seventy-five billion streams. And so I think he is all the way right on this. He Absolutely. needs a LeBron James size check. Work that deal out, even
0: if it's just a, a fraction of a penny. When you get into that many downloads, that's general, generational wealth for some of these artists, yeah. especially the independent artists who aren't backed by these big powerhouse labels, who are financing, um, you know, their own uh, careers, who are, you know, financing their own, you know, appearances and in, in nightclubs and lounges across the country. Um, pay these people.
1: Well, I think a lot of agents that are watching this uh, are taking note. Uh, and I think they're going to renegotiate if they can, if not just negotiate better deals for their talent, because $75 billion, if this is, if this is the, the bar right now, get ready, get in the <laughs> blocks. Uh, congratulations to Drake for, uh, uh, for really leading the future.
0: It's our Black History time, the community program that's truly making a difference. We'll tell you all about it coming up, Foxo's Black Report.
1: Black excellence and Black joy. We love it. All right, Soul Maids, Black Men Coalition, mm-hmm. a community program, in Madison, Wisconsin, receives $230,000 from the Sleshti Family Foundation.
0: Yeah, Corey Mariano, founder of Black Men Coalition, says the grant will help with creating an expanded team by hiring people to help people in the community with employment and financial literacy and recruiting more kids for the youth basketball program. The money will also help with services like transportation to and from work. Uh, with all of its programs and initiatives, Mariano likes to tell people that the Black Men Coalition is, quote, creating a system that works outside of a broken system.
1: The Schleski Family Foundation is a is, is it is a family philanthropy making investments in people and ideas that transform and strengthen communities in Dane County and rural Wisconsin. We love to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is a, a great example of the power of philanthropy, yeah. um, especially when you get those precious, you know, unrestricted dollars to support organizations. Um, uh, programmatic dollars are nice, but unrestricted dollars—you uh, can do a whole lot more. And this particular
0: program—it's a safe space for black men that that this founder um, has created, and they they really focus in on financial literacy. Uh, they focus in on uh, the youth. They have a, a baseball program. We've we've had a lot of talks about how you know baseball is kind of lost in the shuffle. Um, that's real popular in that community, and they've been going for a while. And so it's good to see that people are recognizing them and financing uh, that. That, uh, that
1: mission. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well. Keep up the good work. I'm the Cortelyou Cortez, and I'm Courtney Hicks. Until next time, have a good weekend, and stay, stay lifted. lifted. Go red for women.
3: <laughs> oh.